0: My name is Cody Vance, and welcome to the Affairs Current Podcast. Uh, our email is theaffairscurrent at gmail.com, our blog, theaffairscurrent.blogspot.com, where you'll find links to everything we talk about in this episode. Coming to you in the middle of uh, April, or moving towards the end of April, uh, month uh, two or three, or whatever it me- means. Uh, your know, Time has taken on a, an extra fluid quality uh, these days, but we are uh, you know, perhaps inspired by this and having more time on our hands. We are endeavoring to give you some more podcast content and maybe some uh, other ways to pass your time uh, hopefully being able to physically distance from people um, so a couple over the last couple of weeks we did some record recommendations some underrated albums with myself and Isaac um, and today we're going to do something a little bit along those lines um, we're going to do some overlooked films of the past decade uh, we didn't really have a chance to go over the decade spanning from you know 2010 to 2019 um on this podcast yet and perhaps we'll do you know maybe a, a longer form type of overall review but on this episode we kind of wanted to talk about some movies that we maybe we haven't talked about on the podcast previously the film podcasts or maybe some ones that we have but may have been overlooked or something like that so uh who do i have on the other end of the uh, the tin cannon string with me to discuss this
1: it's uh it's me eddie ruey uh you know same person it always is when we're talking movies pretty much and uh i'm
0: happy to be here okay right on so i think the the first thing we kind of wanted to get into is just give a a little bit of an overview of our philosophy and our parameters for when we were thinking about doing this episode so um i think you know, the first kind of key criteria is we wanted to just look at the past decade, so 2010 uh, to 2019. Um, and, you know, there is one on here that I have a, a little bit of a cheat on, but we are talking about, you know, films that came out in North America during that uh, time, and you'll see once I get to it why there's one little cheat that I have. Um, but, so basically, we're kind of looking at that time scale. And I guess um, when, when, I suggested this idea to you, Edward, I guess, uh, about underrated films or overlooked films. Um, What goes through your mind when you think of a movie that is going to appear on your list for this episode? And is it different or is it the same as something that might qualify on a general kind of UN list? Uh,
1: So I will say that a lot of, actually, I think... I think all but one of the films I have on here uh, have actually previously appeared on year end lists that uh, I've done uh, and on this, po- included on this podcast, but um, it's not like, no, like it's not necessarily the same thing. Like these aren't, like these aren't necessarily um, all like the films that are like my, my absolute favorites from the last decade. Otherwise, it would probably be a lot of films that a lot of people probably have seen, like, uh, you know, Fury Road or Midsommar or, or like, something like that. So I really did make an effort to seek out things that, uh, you know, either, like, didn't get a lot of attention at the time. And I've I've also kind of taken it as, uh, you know, like... uh, to the best of my abilities, most of these are films that I, I've basically heard no one else talk about besides maybe, like, me and you. Um, uh, and so they're, they're kind of, you know... But they are definitely movies that, like, I very much enjoy and, like, I really think people should see. Uh, and I, and I, I did also, like... In, in drawing up this list, I did also make something of an effort to um, like since this is we I, I mean I, th- I think we do want this to be on some level kind of kind of a public service kind of a recommend you know because we're recommending this to people in a time when a lot of people don't have much to do but sit around and watch movies. So I did give some thought to like, okay, well what what are movies that are just kind of like maybe just in my wheelhouse versus like what are movies that might have somewhat broader appeal? Um, and I also, like, also, to be frank, as I was, like, as I started drawing this up, I kind of realized that I, I I am just one, like, edgy, desensitized white dude in that a lot of my movies were just, are, like, very violent or, like, real downers or whatever. Uh, and I, there are still a couple of those on here, don't get me wrong, but I have also kind of made a bit of an effort to add a few more films that might be a little more uh you know upbeat uh a little more encouraging just because I know that you know uh obviously people people can be into different things i mean like the fact that contagion is like the one of the most popular movies on Netflix right now clearly shows that people aren't just looking for uh feel good stories right now but i did want to at least um you know, not not be a total downer in terms of the content I'm I'm recommending to people.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think uh, my philosophy with this was a little bit similar to yours, um, but also maybe a little bit different. In that um, I think with one, actually, I think all of mine have not appeared on a UN list. Now that's partially because we only started doing these. Unless um, at uh, in 2015 on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, God, that's how long it's been. Uh, uh, <sighs> um, old. And um, but all that to say that so some of these movies, if we had had a podcast before, maybe they would have appeared on the UN list, but they haven't I haven't uh, with one exception, we haven't talked about them on the podcast. And the one that is an exception, we only talked about, I think fairly briefly. Um, so I kind of wanted to structure it a little bit more along the lines of things that we haven't talked about on the podcast before. Um, I also wanted to structure it kind of along the lines of these movies wouldn't necessarily make a top 10 for me. Um, I would have to kind of go back and look at a year in total to really do that, but they are interesting, or they do something unexpected, or they're like an interesting twist on a formula, or they're kind of singular, um, and, you know, the other factor, as as you said, is that they're underrated and overlooked, so we're not going to be talking about movies like you said, like Midsommar or Fury Road or things like that, because those are big, but we're also not, I even took it to mean, like, not even something like a Moonlight or something like uh, that, where it was getting a lot of critical acclaim. These are, uh, in a couple of cases, these were critically divisive movies, mm. or, uh, movies that maybe didn't necessarily get the best reviews, but I enjoyed. Um, and then there were a couple of other cases where the film may have gotten, like, okay or good reviews, but it hasn't really been talked about moving forward. So my philosophy with this was kind of, okay, um, here are some things you might not be hearing about from other sources. Here are some things that maybe, you know, you saw a trailer at one point, or, okay, maybe this looks good, but you kind of just forgot about it. Um, and or maybe it's one that you've heard kind of some negative or maybe a little bit questionable things about, but, you know, I want to give that little bit of push to say, actually, like, there's something of worth here, there's something of interest here. Um, and I think another theme, as I look over it, um, is kind of, like, works, like, underrated works by directors who are, pop, who are popular or acclaimed. Mm. Um, so you'll see on this... Uh, list uh, a number of directors that you may have heard of, but not being represented by their best-known film.
1: Right, yeah. Uh,
0: and I, I, that's...
1: Um, I, I Actually, one other thing that I, it just kind of occurred to me that I, I hadn't specifically mentioned is that... Um, and this was partly intentional, partly not, uh, but it has worked out... That three out of my five movies are actually Canadian, um, uh, by by various definitions. Like one's Quebecois, one's by like a, 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 a Mi'kmaq filmmaker. So you know, I mean, you could d- debate whether that's Canadian, but you know, that's 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 politics. So, um, uh, so and anyway, yeah. Um, and just to say, like, yeah, like I guess that for me. Like I get what you're saying, and and I, and I I do think it's it's actually very interesting that like you're you're talking about films that were not necessary that were either you know critically divisive or, or just kind of like didn't didn't get quite as much uh, acclaim, um, and that maybe that may be true of some of the movies on my list, but that wasn't necessarily a, a factor for me, like in in choosing movies that I felt were overlooked. Um, I kind of, I, I guess, I guess kind of what I was thinking was, was I was kind of taking the, uh, the, the advice the, the somewhat, somewhat patronizing advice that you hear so much in journalism school, which is talk about this as if you were, you know, explaining it to your, your brother or your cousin or something, just, you know, kind of like a quote unquote, like ordinary person who probably doesn't like see a lot of movies, uh, and stuff like that. So even though, like, people may... may Like, if people are as into, uh, you know, following, like, the latest movies as you and I are, uh, there's a good chance they may have heard of some of these films. Um, but, like, definitely I would say for general audiences, I think these these are probably ones that most people haven't heard of. Um, and, I mean, honestly, even, like, I, again, because they're Canadian, that, that does add... Uh, sadly, kind of an extra layer of obscurity. So even uh, some people uh, who do follow, you know, the uh, the latest movie
0: news may may have missed these as well. So you know, mm-hmm. okay, right on. All right, so we'll get started with your first pick. And I should say, I think both of us um, have kind of done these in no particular order. Um, I I didn't choose like an order. I did these aren't in order of preference; they aren't chronological. Um, They're just kind of, you know, here are some movies I have. I think I have in my order, um, as I look at it, perhaps unintentionally, I have kind of spaced it a little bit so that um, maybe some of the heavier subject matter films uh, are followed by a lighter subject matter uh, one. Um, so But that was not necessarily intentional. Um, But yeah, so I'll uh, allow Edward to go first. Uh,
1: Yeah, and also just to say, uh, again, for me, I would say mine are in sort of roughly chronological order but also keeping in mind that i actually like carter uh i I did kind of want to sort of balance out some of the some of the 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 like really like heavier films with something that (laughs) may also be somewhat heavy but is at least a little bit more upbeat and 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 not not like such a downer um so yeah so starting with my first film uh, that I want to talk to you about. Uh, so just as I, I'll use this as kind of a hook, uh, if you're like me and Carter, you may have seen trailers for or heard some buzz about this new movie, uh, Blood Quantum, which is uh, like an indigenous zombie movie, basically. Uh, and and I I I've, I've took the opportunity to watch it. It's pretty good. But uh, if you're if that interests you, you may also want to check out the previous film by the same director, Jeff Barnaby, uh, which is called Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Uh, it's from about 2014. And uh, actually, this is this is a movie that was not on... Uh, this is the one movie that was not on any of my uh, top tens. And actually, that's partly because I uh, managed to remain ignorant of its existence until some years after it had come out. So... Um, you know and it's a shame that I missed it, I think. Uh, and and a shame, sh- shame if, if anyone else has, has missed it. And I think this is, might be a great opportunity to catch up on it. So, the basic premise is that it's um, uh, so it's set in like the 1970s on uh Mi'kmaq reservation in. Uh, I guess, like, Eastern Quebec-ish. It's not super important where in Canada it is, but it's a, it's a Mi'kmaq reserve. Um, and uh, it's kind of... Uh, it's, it's about residential school, more or less. In that the, the, the basic premise is that uh, it's about this young girl named Ayla... Uh, whose whose family has kind of been destroyed by the uh, you know by the trauma uh, that that residential school has inflicted on uh, you know inflicted on on her community and on 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 indigenous people uh, and so she kind of uh, has been forced into both like sort of becoming pre, you know pre, like. Kind of, kind of in, uh, a teenage adult, if you will. You know, the kind of person who kind of has to look after herself. And also because of her, her sort of socioeconomic position, she has turned to uh, dealing marijuana. Um, and so she's kind of more, you know, she's kind of in the situation where she's like more or less getting by. Uh, but she lives under the thumb of the local Indian agent. Uh, who uh, has sort of turned a blind eye to her uh, not attending residential school, but in um, in uh, uh, you know sort of as a, a in exchange, quote unquote, for that, he demands uh, what he calls a, a truancy tax of her. Uh, And so he is himself, you know, very, very corrupt and sort of bound up in the, you know, the the, the sort of uh, black market of the of the area. And um, yeah, so without wishing to spoil too much, uh, you know. Things start to start to go wrong for her. Her sort of her sort of hustle starts to fall apart. Uh, She finds herself in like in 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 particularly dire financial straits and um you know finds herself on a collision course with the indian agent who she she's ultimately gonna have to confront if she wants to come out the other side you know like alive and financially solvent uh, and and not uh in residential school um so the first thing I should say in terms of discussing this film critically is that it really must be said uh, that this is an incredibly heavy film. Uh, like, even more so than, than you might expect from, uh, fr- from like, just, just from the subject matter. Because, like, residential school in and of itself uh, is, like, obviously, like, a, like a horrific uh, atrocity. Uh, but this movie doesn't just deal with sort of like the inside of the residential school. It also sort of, uh, more, you know, implicitly or explicitly deals with the effect that that trauma has had on the on the community, on the indigenous people. Uh, so like it, it, it deals with, you know, alcoholism. It deals with, you know, criminality. It deals with um, just a lot of very difficult stuff. So I mean, this this just comes with with like trigger like trigger warnings for uh, you know I mean horrific racism violence uh, suicide uh, substance abuse like and I and I, I really do like I it, it, it's been a while since I watched this film um, and like when I went to rewatch it before for for this podcast. Uh, like I, I started watching it, and within the first like five minutes, I was like, "Oh fuck! I forgot." Like this movie, real. This movie goes there, and it goes there fast. So just a warning. Uh, but I, I do think it has, you know, it has a lot to recommend it. It's, um, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, like for one thing, like it, it does. It does really, like I said, like, I think perhaps better than than any other film I can I can think of. Which admittedly is uh, when I say that I'm not necessarily drawing from a very large um, pool, but it does really show like not it does really show the, the the concept of like intergenerational trauma, and and really like like if you if you had to show someone a movie uh, to get them to understand uh, not just like how bad residential schools were, but like again, as I've said, the, the, the impacts that they had, um, then this is, this is a good movie for that. Uh, you know, it, it also has like something of a, something of a sense of, hu- like a, a sense of humor to it, like a very dark sense of humor to be clear. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of got that, like, that, that, that wry gallows humor, uh, to it. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, so, and I, I think it's, it, there's, there's a lot to recommend it. And, and also, I will particularly say, like, part, part of the reason, like, I, I, I was a little hesitant in keeping this on here just because it is, it does deal with such, su- like, such difficult subject matter, uh, but um, no less than uh, Chelsea Vowell, who people may know as uh, either one of the hosts of the uh, Métis in Space podcast or the author of Indigenous Rights uh, has has said that uh, every Canadian should see this movie, uh, and I, I heartily agree. I think it's like not only not, not only uh, sort of a sort of a useful sort of didactic experience, but it is it is a good film in and of
0: itself, and uh, I quite recommend it. So can I just ask one so I haven't seen the film, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely I will look into it, uh, given your recommendation and given I, I also haven't seen Blood Quantum, but I you know did see the trailers for it and I'm quite interested to see it. I guess the one thing is like, you know, given the title of this film and given that the director's other uh, movies or at least his more famous one that's come out recently is Blood Quantum, like just to clarify for me and maybe for the listeners, <laughs> like does this have some kind of horror twist to it or is it basically just a straight drama? it's so that's actually
1: that's actually a very interesting question um look it's kind of funny because going back and watching this movie i it, there are like i don't know if i would call it horror uh beyond the sense of just like the horrors of colonialism and i mean like in which case like you, you you could kind of see it as kind of a, a non-traditional horror film uh in that sense um there are some like there are some sort of slightly supernatural elements, but they are done in such a way that it's like, is that actually something supernatural or is that just like, is, is that just like the, the character's like perception? Is this just a way of sort of like literalizing like something that's going on in their head or is it? So there's a kind of, I don't know if I'm using this word correctly, but a kind of like a, a slight like magic realist element uh, to it and uh but again it's also uh there 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 are certain elements of this movie that like watching it and then thinking of okay this is the same director that has put out Blood Quantum this year it's like this guy has clearly been itching to make a zombie movie for quite some time <laughs> uh so i'll say i'll say that much
0: okay fair enough fair enough all right so uh my first recommendation is uh, well, uh, in a way not similar at all, in another way perhaps similar, is uh, the follow-up to the collaboration between uh, director Nicholas Winding Refn and star Ryan Gosling. Uh, because you, if you're a fan of cinema, you probably know uh, very well their uh, 2011 film Drive uh, they made together, but they made another movie together. Uh, that was his, Nicholas Winding Refn's immediate follow-up, uh, and it's from 2013, and it's called Only God Forgives. Now, this movie, when it came out, you know, it was kind of pitched as okay, like this is, you know, like a spiritual successor to Drive. It's, you know, the same director, same uh, star, same kind of style, 80s, neon type of thing going on. But it was much more divisive than Drive. I think uh, most critics and, you know, uh, I think most uh, cinema goers, you know, generally, uh, like Drive, uh, I think it's a classic. It's, you know, it's very, sort of a very tightly controlled uh, piece of kind of slow burn, action thriller type of cinema, with a very intriguingly sort of minimalist performance from uh, Ryan Gosling at the center of it. Uh, But Only God Forgives, even though it has a very similar style um, on the surface, which led a lot of people to think, okay, this could be another film in the vein of Drive, is in some ways a much different film. So, Basically, it's about, uh, Ryan Gosling is kind of the, I guess, scion of this wealthy family who they, the other brother, um, is basically involved in a series of crimes in Bangkok and, uh, is being hunted dead and basically, uh, Ryan Gosling sets out to avenge his brother's, uh, murder at the hands of this this Thai police officer, uh, and, you know, throughout is being kind of directed uh, through this by his sort of Lady Macbeth-esque mother figure who is the kind of head honcho of the, of the family and a lot of the movie is kind of uh, it's kind of abstract and minimalist in the same way that drive was in the sense of there's not a whole lot of information or backstory given to you but you you you, you have these pieces and there's always this sense of like there is more beyond the frame of the camera but the director nicholas Winding Refn is really trying to keep you squarely focused and you know that's a pretty big trademark of nicholas Winding Refn's movies um Ranging, you know, from, from the Pusher trilogy uh, to, to Drive to, you know, even something like that, Valhalla Rising, which had like almost no formal dialogue at all. So really he is, you know, even though Drive, I would definitely say is his most mainstream film, um, this was kind of a, a swerve and it was a swerve back into, you know, um, that kind of grimy, gritty cinema that he was doing with the Pusher trilogy and also, you know, it's a different setting. All this, uh, most of this movie is set in Thailand, um, with this kind of a performance by the um, by the major Thai star of the film, who, who stars as the police officer. And basically, I mean, the movie, even though strangely, it's uh, along with Drive, it's actually uh, credited as being in tribute to Alejandro Jodorowsky, which is a bizarre uh, thing that I, I noticed about it. Uh, Upon rewatching, it really feels what it really feels similar to me to is um, you know the works of Takashi Miike in the sense of like this is I'm not gonna lie like this movie is not for the faint of heart it is violent it is brutal Um, there are some sequences in here uh, particularly towards the end which are just like excessive in this it's really this kind of almost it's a very theatrical kind of violence in a way, but it's very brutal. It's very visceral. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people kind of saw this movie and they were like, okay, like this is a lot of style. Um, there's a lot of bloodletting, but is this really adding up to anything? And I think, you know, definitely is this a good a movie as drive. No uh, drive has much more control. This movie is a little bit over long, um, and feels a little bit kind of aimless at points as compared to Drive. Also, I think, you know, for all the, and there is violence in Drive, albeit less than in this movie, and there is this, you know, crime element too, but, you know, Drive had a sense of heart to it that I don't think this movie really does. You know, Drive did have that central performance and that central dynamic between Ryan Gosling as this kind of, like, quiet, loader character um, character, playing off of this, you know, mother and this, this son that, that he meets. Um, whereas this is kind of a movie where there's not really anyone to root for. Um, you know, you have Ryan Gosling, who's trying to, you know, avenge his brother, but his brother was like kind of a piece of shit who deserved it. Um, you have the Thai police officer who like initially appears to be kind of this righteous force of justice, but is also kind of like a sadistic sociopath. Um, but we, so really it is like kind of a movie and there's also some kind of like weird psychosexual dynamic stuff with his mother. Um, there's a lot going on in this movie that, you know, in terms of the thematic elements and also just the, the level of violence may be off-putting to some people. And that's why I compare it to Takashi Miike, this kind of cinema of excess and of style and also just the, you know, the fact that it's set amongst, you know, Asian organized crime type of milieu um, but why do I like this movie? For one thing, it is very stylish. Um, it is just very arresting and intriguing to look at. And for another thing, I think it's another great great kind of minimalist performance from Ryan Gosling, um, who does a lot in this movie while not saying a whole lot. Um, I also think it's another uh, just you know exploration of these kind of themes of revenge and these themes of justice um, but also, like, I think the, what the movie is trying to say is kind of this, you know, instrumentalization of justice um, in order to serve the kind of, like, sadistic ends of these people, whether it be the, the Thai police officer or Ryan Gosling and his family. It's also kind of, it's all, ultimately about the kind of, like, twisting of this ideal of justice and this ideal of revenge to um, serve, like, these other desires that these characters have, right? And, you know, again, is it, a, is it a perfect movie? No, I don't necessarily know that it would have appeared on my top ten had I made one in 2013. Um, but I think you will hear, if you read about this movie, you'll usually hear, oh, is the disappointing follow-up to Drive. And I think in some ways that's true, but I think it kind of underrates what Nicholas Woody Refn was going here for here, I think thematically it's different, even though stylistically on the surface they are similar. Um, I think he was going for a different vibe here. Um, and, you know, I think a bit of that disappointment was about false expectations um, and maybe not understanding... Um, what some of his previous cinema had looked like, because, again, if you go back to Pusher, or if you go back even to Howl Rising, you do see, like, some pretty excessive levels of violence in there. Not even excessive, but just, like, brutal levels of violence and that type of thing. So um, I think if you are willing to get on the wavelength of that and you are willing to... um, you know, appreciate what, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn was going here for here, And if you're also willing to not see this purely as a sequel to drive or a spiritual successor to drive, um, I think you may enjoy this movie and you may see more what he was going for and you may, uh, you know, understand more, uh, where this was coming from and why it didn't necessarily get the fair shake. I think it deserved at the time it came out.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, I believe we actually saw this together uh, when when it first came out. Um, but I, unfortunately, I have not rewatched it since then, and uh, so my my memory of it has kind of worn at the seams uh, over the years. So I I don't. I don't remember it that well, but I will say that I I, I basically, from what I do remember, I, I basically agree with what you're saying critically because I think I too came into this being like, oh, okay, so this is like, it's like Drive, but if it was in Bangkok, uh, which, which it is in certain respects, but mostly I would say not. Um, and having also seen Valhalla Rising... Because see, here's the thing. Like you, like you, you made the point that you know, Drive is sort of the most sort of mainstream, like, yeah, mainstream of of uh, uh, <clears throat> Nicholas Winding reference films. Um And yeah, like I would say, like I'll be, I'll be honest. I found Valhalla Rising kind of confusing and alienating, and it didn't really do it for me. Whereas, like. Drive, I would say, is... is Honestly, I would say Drive is in the running for, like, my top ten films of, of all time. Like, one of my very favorites. Um, so, while, while this is not... And so this film, yeah, it's, it's kind of somewhere between those two films. Uh, so, if you... If you like and have seen uh, pr- pretty much any other film... By Nicholas Winding Refn, whether that's Drive or uh, some of his more uh, sort of art, you know, artsy films, if you will, um, I think you will find something to to like in this film. Uh, and so, if you know, if if that if that interests you and you are not too put off by the the kind of graphic violence, uh, I do think it's worth
0: checking out. And it's, it's certainly better than the Neon Demon. I think we can all agree on
1: Oh on Oh, my hat. God. Oh, fuck. I, I had memory hold the Neon Demon. Yeah, I... Oh, oh, God. I, that
0: is that is one where the critical consensus was, was correct. The Neon yeah, Demon is I, he's quite bad. Although it does contain <clears throat> an amazing scene involving Keanu Reeves and a mountain lion. Yeah. Um, so if you want to clip, you know that's my my secondary recommendation is find the scene from the Neon Demon with uh, with Keanu Reeves in the mountain. Line, forget the rest of the movie. Yeah,
1: do not do not watch any other part of of Neon Demon. You do do yourself that favor. Um, holy fuck! I've, oh God, yeah, yeah. Nicholas, but, but
0: why why'd you do this too? Only uh,
1: only only God forgives. Only God can forgive him for making that movie. So, there you go.
0: All right. So your uh, second pick.
1: All right. So since uh, since Rhymes for Young Ghouls is like I say, just very very heavy, uh, I'm going to watch. Uh, or sorry, I'm going to now recommend a movie that is um, perhaps paradoxically uh, more violent. But at the same time, uh, more, more, kind of more upbeat uh, and, and a little bit less of a downer, uh, which is a, a delightful little Canadian indie film called Turbo Kid. Um, I love this movie. I, as, I, as, I, as I speak to you now, I literally have uh, a poster for Turbo Kid uh, up on my wall. It's um, so it's a post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, it's uh, you know like apparently some reviewer called it like Mad Max on a BMX, which is uh, not not an incorrect way of putting it. Uh, and this did actually come out around the same time as Mad Max Fury Road, so you know the, the similar. There are certainly some similarities there. Uh, the basic premise of it is that it's about. Uh, you know, a young boy living in the post-apocalypse. Kind of, you know, he's got his little bunker. He has to sort of scrounge to get by and everything. Um, but he... He um, he has this comic book... Which uh, has... Uh, uh, is about a, a character named Turbo Kid. So in the, in the fiction of this... In the, in, in the fictional universe of this movie... Turbo Kid is himself like a fictional superhero from you know presumably before the apocalypse, um, and he yeah so he kind of, he kind of idolizes Turbo Kid he sort of t- sees Turbo Kid as like almost a, a role model you know he fights the bad guys he you know represents righteousness and justice in a in a world God mad. <clears throat> But um, yeah, and then but then things kind of start to go in, in a strange direction for him, uh, starting with when he meets this, um, uh, I guess, android. Is like, I always I always mix up cyborg and android. It, yeah, it's this, this, this robotic uh, young girl who's about his age, who who kind of like just just like just just latches onto him, starts following him around, wants to be his friend and everything, and at first he he reacts uh kind of uh you know he he he, he, rea- he he's kind of standoffish to her, but you know and she 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 represents the, the, the this kind of like sincerity and 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 tweeness uh almost that 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 kind of uh you know uh contrasts against his uh, a little more you know sort of like survivalist like you know weakness of the post-apocalypse uh and their adventures kind of put them in uh put, put them in conflict with sort of the the local warlord this sort of uh the Immortan Joe, uh, if 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 one must, of or, or or Lord Humongous, if you if you if you want to go for a slightly deeper cut, uh, of this film, uh, who is uh, who's played by Michael Ironside, so that's that's fun, that's good. Yo, because I, I actually didn't even realize until I saw this movie uh, and looked it up that Michael Ironside is Canadian, but he is, so you know,
0: nice to see him. Uh, he was a, how could he how could he not be? He was he was the villain in Scanners.
1: Oh crap! He was, wasn't he? Anyway, was always, always nice to see, you know, someone who's what, what, one of our own who's, you know, made it in Hollywood, but isn't above doing, uh, doing, uh, uh you know, some, some can con. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, so again, I won't, I won't spoil too much by by saying much more than that. Uh, but like, it's just so, you know, if. So this movie very much is so there's two additional things you need to know about it one is that it is i mean it's a very like tongue-in-cheek movie like very like self-aware of all the the cliches and genre conventions that it has and you know kind of like it's kind of one of those movies that's like on the verge of like it's kind of satirizing it but there's also like a sincerity to it uh uh, like like i mean just just for instance like even though this movie again came out in the middle of the 2010s uh the mo- the movie literally opens with a like over dramatic like terminator style narration about like this is the this is the future year 1997 where acid rain has scorched the land and like all, it, so it um Oh, yeah. I I guess I haven't really mentioned this, uh, but again, this is definitely one of those like eight like movies that is kind of surfing on the same wave of like 80s nostalgia as um, as uh, as as Drive, for instance. Um, Although this is this is much, much, uh, much, much, much more like schlockier exploitation vibe than like this is. If I had to compare this to another film, it is basically Hobo with a shotgun, uh, but, but post-apocalypse instead of like, you know, urban decay, uh, you know, crime thriller. Um, and, um, and, and I mean, the, so and then the other quality that it, 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 it has from being sort of a, akin to a Hobo with a shotgun is that it is comically violent. Um so again like even though i said like uh um uh you know my previous recommendation rhymes for young ghouls is like like massive trigger warnings like very depressing very violent in, in both like both physically and in the sense of like you know systemic violence colonial violence this is the kind of movie where um you know uh someone Someone gets chopped in half, and then someone else's torso lands on top of their legs, and just becomes this stumbling mass of 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 death. And um, so that that that's the kind of movie that you're getting in for here. And and again, I you know because I I am a, you know a white twenty something edge lord dude. This is what I'm into. But uh, if you're if if you're you're willing to get past that. The movie, like I say, there there is just a, a certain level of, like, sincerity and heart to it that I think really kind of makes this movie, uh, to a certain extent, more than the sum of its parts. Because, like I said, I mean, the movie is called Turbo Kid, so it is named after this, like, fictional hero that the main character idolizes. Uh, and again, without wishing to spoil too much, like, the movie does kind of, um, you know, the plot of the movie has a lot to do with him sort of, like, um, learning more about Turbo Kid and sort of maybe even try to take on take on the role of this superhero and to kind of you know do good in 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 this this you know world that is that is filled with injustice and violence and everything. Um, and again, the the interplay between him and the sort of like android, um, you know, partner uh, is is just really like. It's really cute, like, it's just, it's just, that they have good chemistry, and they're, they're, they're both just really cute and fun together, um, and again, like, it, it, uh, again, not wishing to spoil, but, like, it, it ends on what I would say is, like, a pretty, uh, you know, not, like, I mean, like, you know, obviously, like I say, it's violent, so, you know, people die, but it ends on a, a relatively, you know, sort of happy, uh, upbeat note, um, Oh, and uh, before I finish reviewing, uh, I have to say, and again, one of the, the, to my mind, the biggest attractions of this movie is the soundtrack, uh, which really leans hard on that sort of, like, 80s nostalgia. uh, And it was actually composed entirely by uh, a Montreal uh, sort of synth-pop duo called Le Matos. Um, And it's just, it's really, like, it really gets that vibe of the sort of, like, 80s, like, movie, soundtrack, synth-pop, and, you know, it it, it really, like, they they know exactly how to write, you know, like a sort of happy, uplifting, carefree song for the moments when, you know, uh, the the kid and his robot are kind of, you know, frolicking and having fun together, but, you know, they also know how to write a song that, you know, gets you nice and pumped up when it's like, time to fight the bad guys and everything, so it's, um... It's just it's – a, it's, a, it's a trashy but, but sincere and heart little film that if you can if, – if you don't mind the, the sort of theatrical violence, um, I, I think is, is just a, a fun little pick-me-up in my opinion.
0: Ooh. Yeah, I uh, quite enjoyed Turbo Kid when I, when I watched it. I didn't really watch it for this because it is – I mean it is, a, <laughs> as you said – it is a little bit of a trifle. Like, I mean, you're not going to this for, you know, deep examinations about the human condition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, as you said, it is very much akin to that 80s nostalgia wave um, of movies like Drive, but also like Hobo with a Shotgun or, um, you know, even even you could argue something like the Expendables franchise just in the sense this is very much like um, trying to self-consciously pay homage to like a trope of films that existed in the 80s so like in the 80s of course you had mad max the world warrior but you had like all the innumerable like kind of often cheaply made in italy um knockoffs of mad max so this is kind of like that but it is really it's really fun um it's really well done in terms of like just the the humor of it the and there is a kind of like giddiness quality to it like you can tell that the people behind this like really do sincerely love these old movies and they are trying to do something that like definitely realizes how ridiculous they are but um, pushes that ridiculousness to such an excess that it becomes comedic but it's never like a mean parody it's never mm. like a, like oh are these movies dumb it's like oh like these movies were kind of dumb but they were fun and like they were kind of cool and like also there's even kind of like just thinking about the the designs of the armor and things like that. You could even argue it's it's somewhat of a homage to things like Power Rangers and things like yes. that as well. In terms of the just the way Turbo Kid, the character in the movie, is depicted and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, like it's and I believe actually that um, the director of Hobo with a Shotgun was involved. Jesse Eisenberg was involved in this movie as a producer, mm-hmm. so it definitely shares similar kind of like cancon '80s weirdness DNA to it. Um, personally speaking, I like Hobo with a shotgun a little bit better. Um, maybe that just, you know, maybe I just like seeing a, a bus full of school children just get lit on fire. Maybe I, maybe I have, uh, some kind of problem. No, it's, uh, it's, 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 favoritism. It's cause it's, cause it's from Nova Scotia. That's true. That's true. It was filmed, it was filmed in Dartmouth, uh, m- most of it. Where, 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 um, where they first... had to
1: do, where they had to do very little, uh, where they had to do
0: very little, uh, you know, actually, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh indeed. Um blah, blah. Uh, shout out Dark, shout out Dartmouth. Um where, as opposed to Turbo Kid, which was uh, presumably filmed in a rock quarry somewhere, uh in the in uh, or, you know, in the blasted excesses of Sudbury or, or some, you know, very flat, arid piece
1: of land. Y- Yeah, who even knows? It's it's some it's so it's
0: it's it's, it's somewhere though where the stop signs do say a ah, yeah. so... You know. That's true, that's true, so it, perhaps. Anyway, but uh, yeah, no, it, Turbo Kid is a really fun little movie. Um, definitely if you like things like Hobo with a Shotgun, if you like things uh, within that style, um, you will enjoy this. It is a little bit more, like, Hobo with a Shotgun really straddles that line between, like, like how, how straight-faced is this being played. This is a little bit more towards the, like, okay, this is actually meant to be funny. Um, but definitely, um, if you like that, or also if you like things like uh, the Fallout series of games, um, mm. I would say you know definitely this you could you could see this in a certain way almost as a live action Fallout movie. Um, you know, definitely it has some some themes from that. Um, so yeah, I I quite enjoy it. Is it like is it going to change your life? No. Is it something I would put on like a top ten list? Probably not. Um, but it definitely is uh, a cool little movie, and you know it's cool. As you said, that they also, like, involved a lot of people from different creative communities within Canada um, in, in making it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so my uh, second pick, then, is a movie that I believe we talked about very briefly on one episode because it was a situation where we, we saw the movie after the year it came out because it came out very late in 2016, and... Um, and so you know we hadn't seen it by the time 2016 ended and then we did a half year on 2017 and i think i had this as my like oh if i had seen this in 2016 it probably would have been on my top 10 list this year but we were kind of brief about it so i'm going to talk about a little bit more now and that is the 2016 feature uh by director mike mills 20th century women uh which is basically a brief outline of the plot here it's Basically a coming-of-age story um, about, you know, maybe not what you would expect from the title. It's a coming-of-age story about a young man uh, who's, I think, around 15, 14. It's a little bit vague, his exact age. um, But, you know, kind of, uh, you know, that that, uh, coming-into-adulthood, high school type of milieu. And he's living in uh, Santa Barbara, California, in the late 1970s uh, under the Carter administration. Uh, which, uh, if you're wondering, do they have the malaise feature in this movie? They have the malaise feature in this movie, and it's a fairly good punchline. Gotta got, got play the hits. Yeah. Um, and basically, it's a movie about... It's a comedy-based story about this young man, but it's really about this young man's relationship with three women uh, in his life, and one of whom is his mother, who is played by Annette Bening. uh one of whom is sort of this... His mother owns uh, this house... Um and basically it's it's too big for her. Um the, the the family split up. His mother and father split up. Um he's still living with his mother. Um, the house is too big for her. Um she rents out some of the rooms, as one does. Um so one of the people that comes and rents a room is this woman. Um who's you know kind of vaguely twenty something. Um played by Greta Gerwig. Um who kind of becomes like an older sister figure uh, to the young man. And then the uh, third uh, female character in the movie is played by Elle Fanning, who is kind of his, like, teenage love interest slash friend character. Um, so, yeah, it's basically a movie about, you know, the... the it, It's not... There's not a whole lot of, like, real plot that I, Like, definitely things do happen in the movie in terms of the growth of the relationships between the characters. And kind of the, I guess, catalyst event for it is uh, Annette Beddings character... Um, you know, has a birthday and realizes that like, oh, my son is growing older and I can't really, you know, raise him as just myself. So um, I want to have these other people in his life really play more of a role in it. Um, there's also a, a man who uh, is also a, a, a rumor, I guess you would say, at the uh, house um, who also kind of plays a role in there, has a relationship with kind of Gerwig. Um But all of it takes place in this kind of. Interesting like late 70s um California sort of vibe. It's kind of that weird interregnum period in American history where like the 60s have happened, like the sexual revolution has happened, we're not going back to what it was before that, but also like the the real revolutionary energy has kind of drained out of everything. Um it's this weird interregnum period. Uh, and, you know, Reaganism, as we know, is around the corner, and that's going to be this kind of, like, reassertion of these old moral values. But, you know, we're living in this weird interregnum period, and, like, what's actually going on, and how are people going to find their way, and that type of thing. And you see, you know, the interaction of um, these, this kind of, like, Santa Barbara being, like, not a major city in—it's kind of a suburb, basically, of Los Angeles, of uh, that area— And so it's kind of, like, removed from, like, the real action of, like, culture and art and that type of thing. But at the same time, it's, like, definitely influenced by it. So you see, like, there's a scene where they go to downtown Los Angeles to go see, like, a very early punk show. Um, And there's, you know, scenes where they encounter, like, early versions of, like, new wave and disco music and that type of thing. So it's an interesting movie just for, like, the social kind of portrait that it plays of this particular and I think like underrated for kind of like how weird and interesting it was um period in American history and I suppose like the history of uh you know western uh, societies more broadly um and yeah I think uh the thing that really puts it over the top for me is the fact that like all the performances in it are really great feel really lived in um the the three you know titular women um are all great and interesting I'm going to go with this is you know, a rare movie that she didn't um, have a hand in writing that she's in, but nevertheless, her performance is really good, really well lived in. Um, and yeah, and I think the other thing I really liked about it is, you know, there are definitely some really, you know, funny kind of scenes in it. There's, there's a scene that I particularly enjoy where the young man reads, um, oh, what is it, the Sisterhood is Powerful. Um, and then gets into an argument with one of his friends about the concept of the quatorial orgasm. Um, so if you've ever wanted to see like two teenage boys fight about if that's real or not, um, please, you know, go see uh 20th century women. Um there's also like a similar kind of scene that deals with that, uh involved, which I won't spoil, but involves like go Gerwig like sort of making everyone uncomfortable around a dinner table. Um so, But uh so definitely like there are moments of comedy, moments of drama. Um, And certainly, you know, the movie is a little bit shaggy. It kind of is a a little bit too long. It's a little bit um, kind of digressive in certain ways. Uh, But I think what it does is it manages to capture a really unique vibe. Um, Again, that vibe of it's not the 60s. The 60s are over, but we're living with the consequences of it. And how are we going to process that? How are we going to change things? And also um, kind of some more questions that I think are, are very relevant to our own times. You know, what does it mean to... To be a man and to be a good man in, in the in the modern world and that type of thing, um, so I I really enjoy this movie and I think it, it's quite uh, it's quite underrated and particularly you know if you want to see more of Greta Gerwig uh, a really good performance from Greta Gerwig, uh, but also if you want to see a movie that I think really captures a very unique point uh, in socio political time um, in a very vivid way, um, I would give uh, 20th Century Women a look.
1: Yeah, uh, I also very much enjoyed this movie. Um, and, I mean, if I'm honest, I don't really have much to add to what Carter said other than to, to heartily endorse it all. And, yeah, like this movie just really does, as a period piece, it does kind of capture this, mo- this moment in time uh, where, you know, people were still kind of living in the afterglow of the, the last sort of great, period of, of, you know, social transformation and and, and and sort of, you know, mass movement, um, mobilization uh, in American and, and North American history. Um, and um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's quite good. The, you know, each of the characters kind of has their own thing and, and they're all, you know, they're all, they're all, they, they, you become quite endeared to all of them. And, and really, you know, sort of care about, about watching them sort of grow and develop together. And, yeah, it's just it's a really, really nice little thing. Uh, it's a really nice little movie and definitely worth checking out.
0: Okay, perfect. All right. So what we're going to do now is we're going to sign off for this week. Um, and we're going to come back to you next week with the our picks. So I thank uh, Ed Wood uh, for coming on with me. Uh, and once again, my name is Coder Vance. Uh, our email is theaffairscoder.gmail.com or blog where we have links to everything we talked about today. And I wish you a pleasant week, and we will be back to you next week with the rest of our picks.